Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever, truly. Uh, where we're Yeah, we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing well today. We are over a month into the lockout now. Nothing has happened. And I mean, literally nothing has happened. No, there are no negotiations going on. It is now six days into the new year when we were told negotiations were going to start up again. Uh, it hasn't happened. So uh, my prediction was that it was going to go till March. Yeah, I feel like that is looking a little more realistic than it might have earlier. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, one of the benefits of the lockout is it makes like when uh when my friends and I'm sure like when your friends like ask you about oh when you know when do you think the lockout's gonna end and like when I told my friends I don't think it's gonna end by spring training they were like what no way yeah now now it's, now we it's look looking, smart but it's for looking what price better. yeah yeah um and uh you know it reminds us this reminds us of the last time we didn't really have anything to talk about uh, which was, you know, when the pandemic was at its peak and canceling. Like right now? <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, it's both kind of similar scenarios here, except the pandemic is not is not the reason why there's no action in the MLB. It's the lockout. Um, but when uh, the the uh, lockdowns were at its peak. and Yeah, there was, that's the correct way of putting it. When there's uh, nothing nothing going on in Major League Baseball, and uh, actually, our first ever episode on iTunes and YouTube and, uh, or I guess Apple Podcasts instead of iTunes, but Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube is best baseball statistics to use. But it's been, it's been uh, like almost two tw- years, uh, almost two years, about 20 months, like or 20, 22, 21, 21, 21 months. Yeah, 21 months. 21 months since that episode we've came evolved. out yeah we've definitely evolved uh you know that was episode 30 of this episode or of this uh podcast this is episode 169 and you know i think the history series and covering baseball for uh two seasons now even if they weren't completely full uh we've definitely learned way more than than we knew at the time and uh, we figured we'd remaster this thing because there's nothing else going on, and it's mm-hmm. it'll be a, it'll actually provide a good reference for if you know anyone is unaware of what we're talking about. This is this is our reference point, and I feel like we won't have to like I, I don't think we'll have to do this episode again because I think we got it pretty covered down pat. This well, I would hope so, prepared. yeah. Unless like unless there's more sabermetrics that come out in the next like five years, if we do do it again it'll be far down the line it won't be in 20 months right yeah exactly like yeah there's there's always new stuff popping up like i know in the past year they've created like championship win probability added and like rbat mm-hmm. plus and roba 
which we're not going to get into today because they're not that they're not crazy popular but um but yeah we have there's a ton of statistics that like you know you know when we were things that we would reference like every episode during the season talking about like our our players to uh you know players to highlight you know guys who are doing uh good guys who are doing bad and like what we've referenced in the off season why this guy's good why this guy's bad um why this guy's overrated why this guy's underrated all of that stuff uh and you know we're gonna make it all clear or at least attempt to make it all clear in this episode uh and uh at the end we're gonna talk about uh some news ken rosenthal got fired and or fired from mlb network and uh kyle seager retired from baseball it was funny though because uh with the kyle seager retirement the the wife announced it and for a second since i only saw like what was it julie seager or something yeah since i only saw julie seager i was like is Corey seager retiring and then i was like oh wait oh no there's another one (laughs) it's the other funny because his his player's weekend nickname was literally Corey's brother yeah (laughs) you you played right along with with the joke without even realizing it right yeah fell into fell into the trap Corey seager left 325 million dollars on the table wow yeah this is quite the quite the decision (laughs) here by Corey seager um but yeah uh with these statistics we will start off by covering the basics because sometimes they're not they're not well known by uh by everybody yeah uh, so we're going to start out with the quadruple slash line, that is batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS. Uh, the way that we usually present it is in a form where we say he is slashing, and then we list off four numbers in a row, usually most of them uh, preceded by decimal points. Uh, for example, Barry Bonds' career slash line is uh, 298, 444, 607, 1051. When we say that, we're referring to batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS in that order. Uh, batting average is uh, the percent of hits per at-bats. Pretty standard. It's, the, I'd say, the most standard rate stat, possibly in sports. Um, right. Yeah. On-base yeah. percentage is essentially uh, the amount of plate appearances, which are different from at-bats, where you reach base, whether it's via hit, walk, or hit by pitch, not by sack bunt. They don't count because you're sacrificing yourself, you're giving yourself up. Same with sack flies, I believe. Uh, they don't count as plate appearances, but they count as at bats, right? Um, yeah. Wait. Uh, sack. Sack buns. Sack flies. Sack buns. Sack buns don't count as a plate appearance or an at bat. So I I learned flies. this very recently. I assumed they yeah. were a plate appearance. Sack flies count as a plate appearance, but not an at bat. Okay, that's very weird. But it is. It is. It's weird. Um, like, and you can tell that this was this rule was made a very long time ago because of yeah. how they value sack buns. Let me let me just say, um, I think we should just go over the difference between plate appearances and at bats because yeah. they are, the uh, you know it's not in the script, but I think it is important. Plate appearances is simply how many times you go to the plate. At bats is how many times a plate appearance ends in something that can be controlled by the hitter. So essentially, you know, if you draw a walk, you know, if you're a hitter, you see, you you got four pitches that you couldn't hit. That's not, you know, it's not fair to go against your your batting average, so it counts as a plate appearance instead. Um, same with hit by pitch. You know, you got a pitch that was so bad it hit you. There's nothing you can do there. 
you can't you can't expect to get a hit on a pitch that hits you. You can't expect to get a hit on a pitch that's out of the strike zone. So that's where the difference between plate appearances and at bats comes in. Um, usually, plate appearances is used as a uh, as a um, what's the word I'm looking for here, Chris? As like a, a qualifier. A qualifier, yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, you, because like, it's, it's just just total. Yeah. So for rate statistics, if you want to find out the leader in at least like on base percentage slugging and OPS, you need to have 3.1 plate appearances per team game played, which, you know, in a 162 game season usually ends up being 502 plate appearances. Um, And, uh, and yeah, and, you know, we can get into uh, the second half or the uh, last three of the, uh, of the quadruple slash line. Yeah. So slugging percentage is, um, is total bases divided by at bats. That one does not use plate appearances as a qualifier. That one is, you know, all at bats, meaning uh, plate appearances in which the result is determined by a hitter. And also one thing that is important to note is that total bases can only be uh, collected through hits. Walks do not count as total bases. Hit by pitches do not count as total bases. Also, uh, any t- if you like, if you hit a single and then steal second base, that that all still only counts as one total base. You don't, you know, get extra bases based on how far you get after your plate appearance ends. So it's total bases is you know one for a single, two for a double, three for a triple, four for a home run. Extremely basic. All that divided by at bats, and that's your slugging percentage. It you know it measures how well you're driving the ball, how well you're mix- mixing in extra base hits because a double is better than a single. A home run is better than everything else. And then OPS literally stands for on-base plus slugging. It is the sum of on-base percentage and slugging. So OPS, uh, it's, you know, it's a good stat. It's better than batting average because it combines how well you're getting on base with how well you're driving the ball, which are two very important components of hitting. And anyone who can do both is going to be looked at as a very strong hitter. And then on-base percentage, obviously, if you've ever seen Moneyball, you know why that is better than uh average because you know walks yeah they you know they don't guarantee any further movement on the bases but uh it runs up the pitch count it's you know it's good for plate discipline and it's a way it's a free pass i mean walks are literally free passes and slugging percentage we went over um so on base percentage slugging ops those are the three important ones batting average a lot of people say it doesn't matter which is true to a degree but situational batting average does matter. If you're ever going to look at batting average in a situation, it should be, you know, depending on what kind of situation the hitter is inheriting. So batting average on runners in scoring position, I think is the best uh, teller of, of high leverage situations. Uh, RBI is usually used in that, uh, in that context because it's like, oh, he drove in 121 runs. That means he's good uh, when, when it matters most. Well, actually, the best way to determine that is batting average with the runners on scoring position. It shows how much they're getting a hit when they need to. So that is the best time to use batting average, and that is also the best way to tell uh, situational hitting. Um, yeah, very correct. And, uh, like, average can also be used with, like, uh, how a guy does against certain pitches, which is more, like, way – that's more, like, analytical. It doesn't really – Mm-hmm. contribute to the overall thing but it's like oh you know uh you know this guy made an improvement this year last year he hit uh 250 on fastballs this year he's hitting 350 it, along with you know slugging percentage because it's not like you can really evaluate 
on base percentage on a certain pitch because it's, you know, a lot of it is out of control. Yeah. A lot of that is out of control and you like walking on a fastball is, you know, the same as walking on a curveball. That doesn't really have to do with necessarily how, how you suppose there could be a couple outliers there, but potentially generally yeah. speaking, I mean, Juan Soto probably just walks really well on everything. True. And, and also the problem is like, uh, like, I don't think it's provided on like baseball savant how a guy is performing with on base percentage on a certain pitch. So it's not like we can really even look at that particularly. Well, yeah, because that's at, all batted ball data. You yeah, know, walks we, don't count as batted balls. Yeah, we can only look at average slugging, woba, uh, you know, and the expected those are the main of three. Those yeah, statistics. Um, so uh, to show why, uh, to show why you know, average or OPS would be a better, you know, better evaluator than OPS. It It's better to look at, at a team data and how teams perform based on their OPS versus their average. So uh, if you're looking here, this is, we have two graphs um, and uh, it shows, you know, how it both, both have, runs in them and you know obviously scoring runs is the name of offense uh so if you look at ops teams with a higher ops tend to correlate more having a you know higher having higher run production uh if you can see here what i'm circling on youtube for the youtube viewers the r squared for ops versus runs is 0.857 uh, for those unaware of like uh, correlation graphs, it's uh, kind of simple. Uh, the further away it is from zero, the more it is a correlation. And the closer it is to one, the more of it is being a positive correlation. So that, so that, uh, so for OPS, the correlation or the R squared is 0.857 for uh average versus runs batting average versus runs it is 0.592 that is a very major difference uh that was you know 2021 american league teams i chose american league teams because they have dhs and i think the run production is a little more accurate to you know how baseball is currently and you know how it will be considering there's probably not going to be any more pitchers hitting in the future but that's basically like that's team data it's hard to evaluate it's hard to measure that based off of player data because you can't you know score a run by yourself unless you're hitting a home run but team data it shows that clearly there's better run production with higher ops's than better run production with higher uh, batting averages um but they both positively correlate but um they both positively correlate but ops definitely has a significantly uh better correlation with runs than for batting average so that's kind of the comparison of the of the two um and then with with rbi we, we kind of briefly discussed it yeah we did um i think you know like the classic example of rbi is is jose abreu he's a guy that racks up rbis every single year uh and you know 2021 in particular he was hitting behind tim anderson he's been hitting behind tim anderson for years who is one of the best uh, one of the best hit, just pure hitters in the game. Uh, and then other, and then, you know, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert guys like that have hit ahead of him in the past. So 
he gets a lot of opportunities to drive in runs, being that he's a three-hitter with some good hitters ahead of him that get on base a lot. Uh, the best way to determine it is how well they do with the situations they got, not just who has the most situations. Because since Jose Abreu gets the most situations, he's usually going to have the most RBI because he has the most opportunity. Uh, when you look at average with runners in scoring position, that's a better teller of uh, of how people perform in leverage situations with guys on base because it's it's how often rather than how much. I think that's a big theme of of how we view statistics. It's how often over how much. Correct. Absolutely. And then you know, like you know, a guy can have a, a guy can have a lot less situations and be playing a lot less games, but then we just look at overall plate appearances and be like, Oh, well, this guy's, you know, in the lineup more. So, you know, maybe the rate, maybe the rate is, doesn't, isn't much of a, as much of a factor because he has a smaller sample size, but yeah, like, you know, a guy with similar amount of plate appearances, uh, you kind of have to, you have to look at the, at the rate stuff, obviously, instead of the count statistics, such as, you know, RBI. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at someone like, uh, I mean, or actually, yeah, I don't have to look at this guy because I do have another different example of how to look, how to evaluate offensive players. So I guess, you know, the most traditional form of evaluating offensive players is, uh, you know, average home runs RBI and kind of determining how good a player is off of that. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely gone away more you know if you look at you know if you look at like the the chiron of the player which is basically like when when a player comes up they have like their number name position and then their stats uh they will always have like average home runs and rbi but they've added some more like they've met added on base percentage on uh ops and, and things of that nature and like you know more advanced broadcasts like the white Sox broadcast or um, you know, the ESPN StatCast broadcast, they add a bunch of other cooler stuff that we're going to be talking about. Um, but, you know, average home runs RBI, that's kind of what I grew up to know. But now I know that maybe it's not the best way to evaluate offensive players. So mm -hmm. uh, the example I'll use is uh, based on 2021, uh, Salvador Perez versus Shohei Otani. So Salvador Perez, he hit 273 with, a, with 48 home runs and 121 RBI. Otani hit 257 with 46 home runs and 100 RBI. So based off of that, if you just looked at those numbers, you would think, you know, Salvador Perez had uh, a better offensive year than Shohei Otani. And we're just looking strictly at offense. We're not looking at Otani's pitching at all here. Um, so, but despite this, even though Salvador Perez had a higher average home runs and RBI than Shohei Otani, uh, you know, I think we would all we would both agree Otani still had a much better offensive season. So to break it down, uh, also Perez had 665 plate appearances and Otani had 639. So this is very comparable. So the count statistics are comparable. They're in the same ballpark. Same ballpark, uh, count statistics and rate statistics, very comparable here. So Otani had 96 walks compared to Perez's 28. And Otani had a 372 on base percentage compared to Perez's or uh, Perez's 316. I think we've been pronouncing Perez wrong for forever, but I'm still probably just going to say Perez because it's 
easier for I mean, now. like, people are still out there saying Wander Franco. Yeah, true. I've, probably me. <laughs> I think I think I was mostly. I was. I I learned to I learned to fix it up. Yeah. Eventually. Um. I mean, hey, so, Chris, you got time. He's twenty-one. Yeah, he'll, I'll <laughs> I'll figure it out by the end of his contract. Um, <laughs> he so Otani so Otani had ninety-six walks. Uh, Perez had twenty-eight. Otani had a three seventy-two on base percentage. Perez had three sixteen. So. Even though Perez's average batting average is higher, Otani was still much more effective at getting on base, which is, you know, the name of the game. Um, and we'll get into like Otani pushing runners over and things of that nature uh, and how effective he was with runners in scoring position. Cause we know that walks don't move guys around, but Otani was still kind of more effective. Also, Otani had more extra base hits, 80 to 72. Uh, due to him having more doubles and triples, uh, you know, Perez had more home runs, but Otani still had more extra base hits. And also Otani had a, a pretty significantly higher slugging percentage with a 592 slugging percentage compared to Perez's 544 slugging percentage. And then with runners in scoring position, Otani had higher numbers in the entire quadruple slash line uh, with runners in scoring position. So even though Perez had more RBI, Otani was better with runners in scoring position. It's just that Perez had more opportunities. In fact, Perez had 45% more at bats with runners in scoring position than Shohei Otani, giving him, you know, more opportunities to drive runs in, which is why he ended up driving more guys in. And uh, a lot of what, why Otani wasn't able to drive in as many runs as Perez was kind of out of his control. Cause even when Otani was, up with runners in scoring position, 13% of those plate appearances with runners in scoring position were intentional walks. So not even things were like, he got a swung at something out of the zone. It was literally like he went up to the plate and the manager put up four fingers and then he had to go to, he had to go to first base. Uh, so he definitely could not drive any, any runners in unless the bases were loaded, of course, which none, in none of those situations they were. Uh, so 13% of Otani's plate appearances with runners in scoring position were intentional walks. Uh, only 2% of such plate appearances for Perez uh, were intentional walks. So, you know, despite Perez having the higher numbers in those traditional marks, we can see based on percentages and, um, you know, even looking at percentage statistics with runners in scoring position, Otani was definitely way better uh he had a 965 ops perez had uh an 859 ops there was over a 100 point difference there um so it's like you you can't be looking at just average home runs rbi because there's a lot more to look at you know guys getting on base more and having a a better time getting bases uh per per at bat which otani was better in, in both those categories. And that's, that's a more extreme example, but it had to be, had to be shared. All right. So those are the basics of position players, the basics of pitching, you know, it's not as a, it, you know, unless you're going for pitcher wins uh, the, I think the pitcher evaluations is a little less misunderstood than uh than with position player evaluation. 
Yeah, uh, pitcher wins. I think this is pretty well known at this point. I don't think there's a lot of people really trying to combat this at this point. But pitcher wins are very obsolete. You know, there's a lot that pitchers just can't control with getting the win. First of all, uh, you know, if you don't have the lead, you know, you could pitch seven shutout innings and not get the win, whether it's because you, the other team, your team doesn't score or your bullpen comes in and gives up the lead. There are so much things that can happen that, you know, there are so many perfect examples of pitching really well but not getting the win. And subsequently, you could pitch five innings and give up six earned runs. And if your team does really well, you could still get the win. And, you know, there's a lot of just perfect examples of that. So pitcher wins, uh, it's very obsolete. You should you should never use it. Like, you know, RBI and batting average, we can find situations. You should just never use pitcher wins. Yes. Yeah, I mean, look at, yeah. I mean, the be- the best example is Jacob Degrom in 2018. He, yep. he, I think he led the league in quality starts. I think he finished the year with like 28 consecutive quality starts, and, and was like 10 and nine. Most of the time, if you win a lot of games, you probably were also really good in every other situation. Like 20 win seasons don't happen on accident. If you're a 20 game winner, you probably are good at a lot of other things that aren't wins right. that are yeah. that have much more value. Yeah, exactly. Like Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole both won 20 games in 2019. They both had excellent years. And they both played for a 107-win team. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Julio Urias this year, he won- he went 20-3. and three. I mean, not an ex- not necessarily an excellent year, but a, a, a very, very good year and uh, on a very, very good team. And he had like, on a 106-win highest- team, yeah. That also some, gave him, yeah, some of the highest run support. Run support. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ERA is, um, the, the main pitching stat. It's the main rate stat. It's earned runs allowed per nine innings, obviously. Um, this is also kind of being seen as obsolete. I wouldn't really say to the same degree of as batting average. Um, the other, like the basic replacement for it is RA nine, which is runs allowed per nine. Uh, the only difference is that it's unearned runs per nine innings rather than earned runs. Uh, unearned runs can be allowed because of defensive errors, because of inherited runners, things of that nature. Um, baseball reference actually recently added a separate RI nine for extra innings, because that's a lot more inherited runners that, you know, pitches are getting put in, you know, those situations where there's a runner on second, uh, that yeah. eventually can come around to score on like, on literally nothing. You know, you could give up two ground balls and give up a run. Exactly. Uh, to yeah. start an inning. Um, that's kind of the other, you know, we'll get to the real replacements for era later but the one basic one is ra9 which is just discounting unearned runs yeah ra9 is is all the runs you allow and i think the basic idea of if you go ra9 instead of era it's you know i i'm kind of i'm leaning more into it as over time because you know we've we agree that you know fielding percentage is not the best evaluator of errors are incredibly incredibly subjective yeah, and the basic example I can think of is, you know, like you put, uh, you know, you put like Adam Dunn in center field, you put Byron Buxton in center field. So Byron, Bu- so say there's a ball uh, 90 feet to the guy, the center fielder's left, Byron Buxton can get there and drop the ball and commit an error. Adam Dunn cannot get there, and that is a hit. Uh, um, the perfect example is Fernando Tatis Jr. last year. Uh, you know, people pointed out that he made a lot of errors at shortstop. If you look at the errors he made, a lot of them were on plays that most shortstops wouldn't have even, wouldn't even have attempted. Exactly. So then 
you put that into um, into pitcher evaluation, and it's you know maybe the earned runs or unearned runs allowed are not based on necessarily based on like the defensive before performance behind them. And that's why I'm kind of leaning into it more because, you know, you can have, you can have a bad defense behind you with a good fielding percentage, certainly. Um, so, you know, the, there's a, or, you know, maybe not necessarily correlating with their fielding percentage um, and vice versa. So, you know, with errors, it may not necessarily, uh, it may not necessarily evaluate a pitcher's performance as well, like ERA, but usually our ERA and RA9, there's a very, very uh, close correlation there. So mm-hmm. it's not like someone can lead the league in ERA and be like 12th in RA9. That's um, yeah. usually not going to be I think the case. The, I think the reason why, like one of the reasons why RA9 isn't necessarily mainstream, and there's there's many, but one that comes to mind for me is that like just the underwhelming factor that a person, a pitcher's RA9 can never be less than their ERA. Uh, true. Exactly. Like it's yeah. always, it's always going to be more. Like yeah, it's always like going to make a pitcher look worse. It's like, well, yeah, his ERA is 3.28, but you look at this, it's actually 3.72. Yeah. It's like way harder to have a sub two RA nine. Yeah. It's nearly impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, like in terms of marketing, it's way easier to market a guy with a one seven ERA than like a two one RA nine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't think ERA. I don't think ERA nine is gonna replace ERA anytime no. soon. Um, but and I'm not against. I'm definitely not against ERA. I'll definitely reference it forever. Um, and uh, and we'll get more into the pitcher statistics later. And now, now since we've covered the basics, it's time to dig a little deeper. Um, and we'll start with uh, with everyone's favorite word, BABIP, batting average <laughs> on balls in play. Our favorite um, word. It, it's, it's fantastic uh, the but, only stat that we use as a verb yes not the only one but the main one the main one the the one we we true we used it as like an actual thing the other is mostly jokes but you know you can get you can get babbipped in real life um <laughs> and we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about batting average on balls in play so uh batting average on balls in play is batting average on non-home runs and non-strikeouts so basically it is anything that can be affected by the fielders. You hit uh you hit a double that can be affected by a field. You, you hit a you hit a, a ground ball to short, obviously that's gonna be affected by the fielder. You you know, hit a blooper that can be affected by fielders. You hit a fly um, ball in foul territory that's caught, that is that is affected by a fielder. But exactly. if it lands, not affected by a fielder. Correct, correct. Um so BABIP is a stat used to measure pitchers and batters luck. Uh, so it's BABIP for batters, BABIP against for pitchers. Um, the league average BABIP has been between 292 and 300 for the last 14 years. So it's, you know, so a batter well below that range. So a batter, if if a batter were to have a, a 240 BABIP, he would be considered to have very bad luck because he's well below the 292 to 300 range. Uh, a batter well above that range is considered to have good luck. So a batter with a 350 BABIP is considered to have good luck. Um, and it is exactly the opposite with pitchers. So if you have a 240 BABIP against, 
uh, you're considered to have very good luck. If you have a 360, I believe three BABIP against like Eduardo Rodriguez did last year, um, that is considered to have very bad luck, which is why I was talking about him uh, endlessly last year. And uh, sometimes I will say, sometimes it is not completely luck. Like, uh, you know, I believe like guys like Rod Crew and Tony Gwynn had BABIPs around, like career BABIPs around 340 because of, yeah. you know, they had great bat control, great ability to get hits not via the homer. And it was something that was obviously longstanding. And you can't, as they say in fever pitch, you can't have a lucky career. So uh, that that's not really considered luck to have, you know, a career 340 BABIP over, you know, 10,000 plate appearances or whatever. Um, I think if you want to make a modern example to that, the perfect one would be Tim Anderson. Yeah. He's a guy who he hit 338 in 2019. Uh, he's consistently hit above that mark or around it for the last couple of years, and he's not a he's not necessarily a power guy. Um, so he's had a BABIP uh, north yeah. of probably three twenty each of the last, probably much more than that each of the last at least three I think, seasons. I think last year's BABIP was like three seventy or something like that. Uh, just going year by year since twenty nineteen, three ninety nine, three eighty three, three seventy two. His career is three fifty three uh, yeah, over and... almost three thousand plate appearances. Yeah, that's that's not exactly luck. Um, and I think, I think BABIP for, for pitch or BABIP against for pitchers can be used more for luck than BABIP for hitters. Cause you know, a hitter, you can have a certain archetype of, of how you approach things and you can, and also faster players are more likely to have higher BABIPs because they can, you know, leg out infield hit hits and things of that nature. I imagine, or actually I should look up Ichiro's BABIP over his, over his years because Ichiro was, was a good one he he had to be the king of of uh infield hits obviously well yeah i mean his babip just on like i, I know that we don't have stat cast around but i bet his babip on like soft hit balls was pretty strong uh, he had a career babip of 338 over a 19 year career uh not nonetheless it also started at age 27 when yeah he and probably like, wasn't at his peak athleticism yeah his first 10 years of his career his career, his BABIP was 357, um, you know, over, over 7,000 plate appearances. From age, from age 36 on, it was 307. Yeah. So that's, that's not necessarily luck, but if a pitcher were to have like a career, a pitcher is much less likely to have like a 340 career BABIP against, unless they have the worst defense every single year. Um, in which case they should, get out of there in free agency but but yeah like uh a pitcher i feel like pitcher babbit against is is referenced a lot more than position player babbit like for them um and yeah and and sometimes i can accept like a low babbit against if you're like a if you're a very soft contact pitcher like um like kyle Hendricks earlier in his career maybe not last mm-hmm. year but earlier in his career but he also, you know, kind of relied on his gold glove defense behind him. So um, maybe not as much, but, but yeah, Babbitt, uh, it's, it's, I would say it's more simple. It's just like, you know, if you, if you're a batter with a 240 Babbitt, uh, probably bad luck. If you're a batter with a 350 Babbitt, you know, pretty good luck and vice versa for yeah. the most part. I would say, yeah, 
sometimes it's not completely luck, but more often than not, it is luck. Uh, it, usually it's explained by that. Um, all right. So with BABIP, we can now go into pitcher peripherals, which are, uh, yeah. which are fascinating. Yeah. So pitcher peripherals, for those of you who don't know, is uh, an evaluation of how well a pitcher is in the things that they can control. Um, so the main one is fielding independent pitching, otherwise known as FIP, where uh, the Fangraphs definition it measures a player's ER, it measures what a player's ERA would look like over a given period of time if the pitcher were to have experienced league average results on balls in play and league average timing. So uh, it is based on the three true outcomes of baseball: a pitcher's strikeout rate, walk rate, and home run rate. Um, obviously, you know, if you're giving up a home run, that's entirely on you, the pitcher. If you're striking out a guy, that's entirely on you, the pitcher. If you're walking a guy, that's entirely on you, the pitcher. Yeah, none and of it, it, none of it can be affected by the fielders also. The, so the it home, essentially, a yeah, home run, it, a home run can't be affected by your, your defense. So, you, you know, you're not that giving up a lot of home runs because you have a bad defense. Yes. So that Babbitt block we just talked about, it goes completely out the window with FIP. Uh, Corbin Burns just had a generational type season. He had a league leading 243 ERA last year, but his FIP was what made him stand out. He led the league in strikeouts per nine. He led in K to walk ratio. He led in home runs per nine, and he had a 1.63 FIP, which was the second lowest FIP in the live ball era, uh, which was the last 100 years, and that's minimum 120 innings pitched. Uh, the only season better than him was Pedro's, was it his 99 or his 2000? Uh, I believe 99. Okay. It was one of those two. I think it was his 99. Um, yeah. But what, um, so what you may not have realized was that, you know, there was a big gap between his ERA and his FIP. And that's because Corbin Burns had a 436 BABIP against with runners in scoring position. That obviously allows for a lot more runners to score and that inflates his ERA better to, or a lot higher than what it would look like otherwise. Um, I think one big um, misunderstanding about FIP is that uh, people talk about how it's like, it doesn't measure what happened on the field, but it does. Every every single input in FIP is what happened on the field, uh, which is a very important distinction that a lot of people don't make with the reality of it. Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, FIP. Like, I've been FIP. I mostly, I, I yeah, I mostly like. I think it's pretty accurate, and I think it correlates a lot with like expected ERA, which I usually go with more, because mm -hmm. um, you know. Corbin Burns had a significantly lower FIP than his ERA, and he also had a significantly lower expected ERA than his ERA. So usually there's a pretty good correlation because, you know, StatCast also or expected ERA also considers the strikeouts and walks a lot, uh, right. mostly. They just have the batted ball data of, like, what's expected to happen on the batted balls. Um, so, yeah, and uh, expected ERA... Uh, is something I definitely use a little more than FIP. Um, it uses uh, StatCast data to determine. So, you know, StatCast data determines expected WOBA. We'll get into WOBA later. And that determines what their ERA is expected to be based off strikeout rate, walk rate, and batted ball data uh, from StatCast. And it doesn't really consider like, it doesn't necessarily consider like situational pitching. So if you're much better with uh if you're much better at pitching with runners in scoring position like maybe Blake Snell in 2020 um it doesn't really consider that it just goes based off of like the uh how each batter is performing against you no matter the situation and creating 
an expected ERA based off that and also uses the quality of contact from, from StatCast. So like, you know, if you go, if you go on Baseball Savant, um, you, uh, you can see like a, a ball. So let's say a ball gets hit, you know, a hundred miles per hour at a, you know, 26 degree launch angle, the dead center field. And it's, you know, caught like a leaping grab, crazy, crazy thing that happened. Maybe it has an expected batting average of like 700. That is going to go against your expected WOBA against uh, or expected ERA against, but, you know, obviously with ERA and also FIP, it, it uh, d- doesn't necessarily matter FIP or I guess ERA, it would benefit more. FIP is like, that's a ball in play, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, the, the expected ERA considers, you know, the quality of contact against you. FIP, it can't do that because it doesn't involve stat cast. Um, all right. So now on to XFIP, which is an expected statistic within an expected statistic. It's pretty yeah, fun. Well, it's yeah, it's very it's like inception. Um, yeah. So the thing with XFIP is that the Fangraphs definition is that it's calculated the same way as FIP, except it replaces a pitcher's home run total with the estimate of how many home runs they should have allowed given the given uh, the number of fly balls surrendered while assuming a league average home run to fly ball percentage. So this is a stat that you know I would be a little careful with because I think uh, I think the only correct way of using it is to suggest a pitcher should be better uh, because they're allowing a lot of home runs, but even then. Uh, you know, I think there is a lot more to be taken into consideration. Uh, but for example, Corbin Burns, you know, he gave up, I think, like six home runs all year. Uh, it's not really to, it's not really fair for him to say that, well, he should have been worse because he should have given up more home runs. Um, right. Because, you know, that's something that, you know, a pitcher controls. And, you know, it, it's sort of like, well, you should have, you know, they should have controlled this better, but not everyone can. Uh, just to give some exact numbers to it, Corbin Burns had the lowest home run to fly ball ratio among the 39 qualifiers in 2021, and he had a 230 uh, xFIP compared to his 163 FIP. Um, I just want to look at some Statcast data right now. I want to see what percent of the league's home runs were like down the middle, because you know that's like if you're throwing a pitch down the middle and giving up a home run, like I don't think it's fair to be like, well, they shouldn't have yeah. given up a home run. Yeah, yeah, XFIP is, and I, especially with the Corbin Burns example, I don't think it's fair because, like, Corbin Burns had one of the most elite exit velocities against. He wasn't giving up hard hit balls. He wasn't giving up barrels either. Yep. So whatever fly balls he was giving up, I believe, were also, like, you know, low exit velocity. I, I didn't prepare what, um, what like, where he ranks in, like, average exit velocity against on fly balls. But, um, yeah, it implies that, like, all fly balls are created equal, yeah. which they're not because um, of the home run to fly ball ratio aspect. Um, but I mean, I think the best best area to use XFIP for is if a guy is... He's have a lot a, of home runs. If Is if a guy is um, in a crazy pitcher ballpark or a crazy hitter mm-hmm. ballpark. So like a... You know, a Yankees pitcher is giving up home runs left and right. You know, maybe that's not going to be the scenario if he's on another team. Same if it's like if if you're a Giants pitcher and you're not giving up any home runs, you know, you're probably going to give up more if you're at an average stadium. 
Uh, the classic example of XFIP from the 2021 season was Andrew Heaney, exactly. who pitched for both the Angels and the Yankees, which I believe were... I know Yankee Stadium was definitely a, um, a hitter-friendly ballpark, and given the Angels pitching, Angel Stadium might have been as well. Um, but he had a, five, a 583 ERA, a 485 FIP, but a 412 XFIP because he had a home run to fly ball ratio of 18.1%, which was about 4.5% above the league average, which was, I think, 137 last year. Um, I just want to go back to the point I made before. Uh, 25% of all home runs given up in 2021 were in uh, StatCast's game day zone 5, which means it's right down the middle. Middle, um, middle, yeah. Which, you know, if you're... If you're throwing pitches down the middle, like, I, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, you shouldn't have given up that many home runs um, because that's, you know, you yeah. reap what you sow. Um, right, exactly. But, you know, XFIP, you know, it's good, to, it's good to suggest, like Chris mentioned, if a guy's in a non-favorable ballpark or if a guy, you know, if, he, if you look more into the home run data, if some of them are, if they're barely, if they're wall scraper home runs or if it's, you know, good pieces of pitching getting hit, uh, but you know, it's, it's definitely one I would be careful with, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would never, I don't think I would ever make a case of like pitcher A is better than pitcher B because pitcher A gives up home runs on 20% of his fly balls. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, unless, unless I had more data to back that up, but that wouldn't be my main argument. Right. Yeah. It, it also like XFIP is another thing that ignores like, um, how hard, how hard like a fly balls are being given up yeah. against a, a certain guy. And I'm trying to look for Corbin. Dang it. It kind of it assumes that every pitcher should give up a home run on 13% of their fly balls. Yeah. I'm a uh, uh, last thing I'll look at for the Corbin Burns thing. He's mentioned a lot because of the, you know, peripherals and stuff. Because and He had a peripheral peripheral anom- anomaly this season. Yeah. I mean, Second best in the live ball era, minimum 120 pitches is pretty wild. Innings pitched. Uh, minimum 120 total pitches thrown. <laughs> minimum 120 innings pitched. Yeah, one of 10,000 examples. Okay, this is actually pretty crazy. I just looked it up. Okay. Um, so there were th- there were 128 pitchers to have. Uh, there were 128 pitchers to have 300 batted balls against uh, last in uh, in 2021 and Corbin Burns's average exit velocity against on fly balls among those pitchers is uh the least lowest so mm. that's why his home run to fly ball ratio was so low because he had the softest hit fly balls out of anyone anyone qualifying so sometimes so yeah a lot of the times xfip you can kind of disregard it um but it is on uh, the fan graphs. Don't, dashboard, don't completely so. put it away though. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Don't completely, don't put it away, but don't completely rely on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we're going to get into, I call it S I E R A. A lot of people call it Sierra. Uh, they call it by its name. Um, I, I call it S I E R A and you can do whatever you want. The fan graphs definition is that while FIP and XFIP, largely ignore fly balls they focus on strikeouts walks and home runs instead siera completely adds in complexity in an attempt to more accurately model what a pitcher's successful what makes a pitcher successful siera doesn't ignore balls in play but attempts to explain why certain pitchers are more successful at limiting hits and preventing runs i'm gonna make that extremely less complicated to people like chris who don't really understand it 
Chris, that's not a shot at you. You literally wrote in the script. Honestly, doesn't make much sense to Chris. It is strikeout to walk ratio and ground balls. Those are the two main components. Home runs are completely disregarded, which I think that's probably the main flaw of the stat is that it assumes that pitchers aren't giving up home runs. They are some much more than others. But if you're looking at what, if you're trying to make sense of the SIERA leaderboards, it's guys who strike out a lot of batters, walk very few batters, and give up a lot of ground balls. So I'm just going to go through uh, the leaderboard and highlight some of the important parts of uh, it. So I'm looking at the 79 pitchers who threw at least 130 innings in 2021. Uh, Corbin Burns had the lowest SIERA at a 2.61 because he he had a 30.4% strikeout rate minus walk rate, and he had the 17th highest ground ball rate at 48.8%. Uh, he was he excelled in both of those aspects and therefore he led where it starts to get tricky is max serger max serger had a 28.9 percent strikeout to walk ratio which was the second highest in the league but his ground ball rate i believe was one of the lowest uh just checking yeah it was 72nd among the 79 pitchers uh the reason why he ranked second in siera was because of the k to walk ratio uh it was the second highest in the league and therefore uh with that sort of volume that's why. Uh, so I think based on Serger, you can probably infer that a lot more emphasis is put on the strikeouts and walks rather than the ground balls. And then, you know, you go up and down the line, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, and then Logan Webb at number five is one of the more interesting ones. So the four people ahead of him have a K to walk or K rate minus walk rate above 27.8%. And then Webb is fifth at 20.5%. And that's because he had a 60.9% ground ball rate, which was second in the league. And that's, that's substantial. That is a lot. Uh, that is, you know, the reason he's fifth is because it's that high. And then after that, you have Zach Wheeler, Robbie Ray, guys who are pretty much good at both. And there's a couple of, uh, I think one of the better, I'll talk to some out, talk about some outliers. Uh, Charlie Morton was another good one. You know, everyone's right around, everyone around him is like low 20s. Uh, 24 to 22, uh, and he's at 20.9%, and that is because Charlie Morton had a very good uh, ground ball rate as well. He had one of the best, he had the 22nd best on that list of 79. And then the other big highlight, uh, if you look at the top 29 in SIERA from this season, everyone has a K rate minus walk rate of at least 17.5%, and that is still above average. The person with 17.5 is Max Freed. Would you say, Chris, that Max Fried is above average in uh, strikeout totals and walk prevention? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the league average was around 14%. His was 17%. At number 30, you have Framber Valdez at 11.7%, significantly below the average. But, Chris, if there's one thing we know about Framber Valdez is that he is the ground ball god. 70.3%, almost 10% higher than anybody else on the list. Uh, I can't explain it. I don't know how a pitcher gets a ground ball on 70% of batted balls in a year. Uh, that is absolutely insane. That's why Framber Valdez cracks the top 30 in SIERA. Uh, that is my example. And that's, you know, I think the if, if there's a flaw with it, I'd say it's that it assumes people aren't giving up home runs or it doesn't take into account home runs because that's obviously a very significant part of pitching. That's why Garrett, you know, that's why uh, Garrett Cole ranks just behind Max Serger, even though Serger, or excuse me, uh, that's why Garrett Cole ranks third, despite you know 1.19 home runs per nine, you know, yeah. rather than 
Uh, he's you know he's just ahead of Carlos Rodon, who gave up 0.88 home runs per nine. Um, mm-hmm. and that's that. That is Sierra or Sierra, whichever one you want to call it by. Yeah, that that makes a, a lot more sense now. Looking at the mm-hmm. leaderboards and such. Um, yeah, that's uh, so those are those are all the you know pitcher peripherals we mostly look at. Um, the per- peripherals I mostly look at are FIP and expected ERA. Um, and, uh, I think that's kind of mostly universal skill. Uh, also SIERA stands for skill interactive earned run average. Yep. Um, so if you don't know what the SI uh, meant and yeah. And yeah, also the reason, the reason why ground balls are favorable by that stat is because ground balls generally produce less damage than fly balls. Uh, you know, I did a actually re- recently wrote about um, Josh Bell, who had substantially high ground ball rates considering uh, his power. And one thing I talked about was that in 2021, the league average on ground balls was 236, and on fly balls it was 237. So you know, near identical in batting average, but the big difference is in slugging percentage because a lot of fly balls end up being home runs, and a lot of ground balls end up being if they're a hit, singles, maybe doubles, even maybe triples, but that's like extremely rare. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, that's uh, why that's why ground balls are favorable is because they give up less total bases. Yeah, um, I'm looking at so uh, fly balls in 2021 generated an 877 slugging percentage according to yeah. um, according to Statcast or, or Baseball Savant. So you know that means. 0.877 bases per at bat on fly balls. That's a and lot. Ground balls. That would that would more than lead the league. That would be best all time. <laughs> yeah, that was a would. full season. And uh, ground balls lead to a slugging percentage of 266. That is uh, a substantial. Like the difference between those two would be an MVP season. Uh yeah. Oh yeah. Eight se- Yeah. Eight seventy seven minus. <laughs> 877 or crap 877 minus uh 266 is a 611 slugging which is yeah yeah that wins yeah that, that, that's mvp caliber yeah otani otani was 592 i think vlad's was right around there yeah uh, vlad's was a little higher but he it was like know, 604 I, 602 i think yeah obviously he you know didn't pitch but you know he led the league in he, he led the al in slugging i'm pretty sure um so yeah, those are uh, the pitcher peripherals. Um, yep. So now we get into plus stats, which are honestly like you know kind of basic. He's uh, easy, easy to explain. OPS plus is the first one we'll go over, which is the easiest of the plus stats probably to explain. Uh, it is league and park adjust. It is a league and park adjusted s- statistic that sets the league average for position players at one hundred. Base, and this is based completely on OPS. Uh, so like it's your, it's, you know, where your OPS compares to the rest of the league on a, on the scale of park adjusted uh, of a park adjusted stat. And, um, and this is uh, used completely on baseball reference. This is not on fan graphs. Uh, also, so the amount of points over or under 100 a player is is the percentage above or below league average they are. And this applies for all plus statistics. Um, so a 150 OPS plus 
is 50% above league average. This applies for ERA plus and wager runs created plus, uh, which we'll go over next. Uh, and this plus stats in general are important when comparing players from different eras. So like when we were talking in the history series, OPS plus was very important to talk about. So for example, uh, 1908 Hannes Wagner, which we love to talk about, had a 957 OPS. And 1947 Ted Williams, who we also love to talk about, had an 1133 OPS. But they had the exact same OPS plus of 205. So even though their OPS was almost a 200-point difference, uh, compared to the rest of their league, they were the exact same, if that makes sense. And then ERA plus is uh, the exact same... Uh, idea is OPS plus with ERA. So 1912, Walter Johnson uh, had a 139 ERA. In 1999, Pedro Martinez had a 207 ERA. So, you know, almost, uh, almost 0.8 or no, 0.7 runs of difference there. Uh, but they had the exact same ERA plus of 243, meaning they, you know, were exactly the same compared to their league at the time. Um, That's right. And, you know, of these league and park adjusted statistics, I think in 95% of cases, more of the emphasis goes on league adjustments. And really the only exceptions in the modern day would be uh, players who play for the Cincinnati Reds and players who play for the Colorado Rockies because they play in such hitter hitter friendly ballparks. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's why, you know, the most relevant, I feel like the most relevant point for OPS plus has been with Larry Walker and Todd Helton because people assume, you know, because they played in in these parks, their stats are inflated, but you know, they are inflated, but how much by they're still, you know, in our opinion, hall of fame caliber players because of that has to be the laziest argument that people can make. Yeah. Cause we already have like, all you need is OPS plus. And exactly. It debunks exactly. the entire argument. And weighted runs created plus because that is also yes. park adjusted. Yeah. So weighted runs created plus is it's basically just another OPS plus. Uh, it's available on FanGraphs uh, as instead of Baseball Reference, which pertains to OPS plus. Uh, it takes the stat runs created, which uh, is it, honestly just think of it as OPS. <laughs> They're yeah. very similar. Um, it has different, you know, it has slightly different park adjustments, uh, and that's why. It's never necessarily the same number, but in like, in like ninety eight percent of cases, a player's you know weighted runs created plus and OPS plus are always going to fall within the same, like, at most five points apart. Yeah, and that's unless, pro- and that even that's a stretch. Unless you're talking about like uh, extreme numbers, like uh, if you have like, I think Juan Soto in twenty twenty had like a two seventeen OPS plus and a two hundred weighted runs created plus, like. But you're not. Ne- That's a small almost example. No size. One, almost no one has numbers that high. So, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously, as you go higher or lower, the differences are probably going to increase. But, yeah. you know, if you have a 102 OPS plus, you're probably going to have a weighted runs created plus like between 100 and 104. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and weighted runs created plus also, it uses more, yeah, like rate runs created, what weighted runs created, and WOBA, which are like, they provide different run values for different, you know, situations of how you get on base. We'll get into that a little later with, with WOBA. It, you know, we'll explain WOBA a little bit later. Um, actually, 
after this statistic that I'm about to present. Um, uh, so yeah, isolated power. So this one, isolated power is interesting because um, it's not necessarily a thing of like, if you have a good ISO, which is how it's referenced on or all these sites. Yeah. Uh, if you have a good ISO, you're necessarily better than a guy with a lower ISO than you. But um, a lot of the times it still is. It's kind of interesting. So it's slugging percentage minus batting average. Um, and uh, it basically measures like how much of your, how much of your, you know, production is coming from your power from your extra base hits because you know if you have if you have a 250 average and a 550 slugging uh you, you can assume that like a lot of your production is based off of home runs and not necessarily like compiling singles and, and things like that if you're hitting uh 350 with the 550 slugging you can assume it's more based on like singles doubles and maybe not exactly home runs uh as i'm pulling this uh pulling this graph up um but yeah so you know it most of the time so if you look at the isolated power leaderboards it's mostly <laughs> it's mostly great players uh you know i think shohei otani led last year chris you didn't you didn't use the golden example and you don't even know what i'm talking about uh, oh, isolated power. The true. You're not talking about the true ISO leader. The true ISO leader. Wait, Mike Zanino. Set the, yeah, Mike yeah. Zanino. Yeah, Mike Zanino. Let's. Yeah. He was also an anomaly. He he wasn't an anomaly. Um. So yeah. So with isolated power, it's interesting because it's not necessarily completely correlated with offensive success. So you know, I would. I would rather have a guy, you know, it, you can have a, a lower slugging percentage, but a higher ISO. I'm still taking the guy with the higher slugging percentage, but usually guys with higher slugging percentages have higher ISOs. It's a little complicated. So for example, uh, Adam Duvall had a higher ISO than Aaron judge, despite him, despite trailing him in OPS by 144 points. Um, so, you know, Adam Duvall had a 772 OPS. He didn't have a better season than Aaron Judge, even though he had a higher ISO. It's just that more of Duvall's offensive production came from power than than Judge's did. And, you know, not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just how it is. It's a good measurement of, like, if whether to – it's more of a thing for, like, teams. It's like, you know, do you put this guy in the in the one spot or do you put him in, like, the six or seven spot? You know, if he has a lower ISO and, you know, a higher average, then he's probably going to be, you know, more top of the lineup type guy. Um, however, ISO is, has a more of a correlation. It has more of a correlation with runs than average. So, yeah, as you look at the graph here, uh, the correlation for average versus runs in 2021 for American League teams is 0.592. Uh, with ISO versus runs, the correlation is 0.677. But I wouldn't say this is accurate for all eras. Like if in the 1970s where, you know, home runs were not as big, uh, average probably was more valuable to a 
team success than ISO. Um, it's not necessarily like OPS, but good to, good to note. ISO contribute a higher ISO for American League teams in 2021 contributed to more runs than uh, or correlated to more runs than for batting average. Can I can I just talk about Mike Zanino for a second? Let's talk about Mike Zanino. So I mentioned him as like the the golden example of ISO. He had a 3.42 ISO uh, in the 2021 season, which led all players with at least 70 plate appearances. Yeah, and he had he, he had, had like 375. Yeah, he had he had a lot. Um, and the uh, the reality is he had a 2.16 batting average and a 5.59 slugging percentage. Uh, which essentially means if he wasn't getting a hit often, but when he did, it was home runs every time. Now, Mike Zanino had a BABIP of 231. Now, we mentioned earlier BABIP means, you know, if you have a low number like that, you're probably getting unlucky. But Mike Zanino is a much different case because Mike Zanino had a 54% fly ball rate in 2021. That that led the league by a lot. Um, I think, let me check, a minimum 350 plate appearances... Who was even like the next closest? It was okay. It was it was his teammate Austin Meadows at fifty three percent, who had a two forty nine BABIP. The thing, the thing with fly balls is that if they're not out of the ballpark, they're probably out because they hang up for a long time. And you know, with a major league outfield, they're going to get to it almost every time if it hangs up for that long and it's not out. So when you look at Mike Zanino's BABIP, you're essentially looking at his home run to fly ball ratio. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, that's very true. So also with Mike Zanino, a little hit breakdown for uh, for the audience. Mike Zanino, he had uh, 26 singles, 11 doubles, two triples, 33 home runs. That's, that is where Mike Zanino's offensive production was coming from. Entirely fascinating. Entirely from home runs. Um, at, how he got two triples also fascinating to me but i might have to check that one yeah illustrator it is he's a catcher i'm not saying because he's particularly slow but you know he's a catcher catchers don't get triples also triples are just rare in general yeah unless you're benji molina (laughs) triples triples king um Um, let's see okay well one of them oh well one of them was off at water rodriguez of course (laughs) Uh, not to mention, it also had an exit velocity of 86.3. Uh, it was probably at Fenway. Yeah, it was at Fenway. So, you know, uh, it hit off. Oh, yeah. Okay, you know what? It was one of those at Fenway that hit, like, in the right field corner, like, where it's just barely fair, where it hits that wall. And yeah. it sort of bounced around a little bit. Hunter Renfro, like, kind of dove towards the stands to try to catch it. He didn't, and it rolled away. So that was one of the two triples. That was a pop-up. <laughs> Or, well, it was a fly ball. The other one was against Dallas Keuchel. Uh, and it was, uh, let's see, it was in Tampa. I bet it hit the catwalk. No, it didn't. It was just a misplay. Oh, wait, no, it? I feel like it had to have, right? Man. What? It took, I'm looking at this slow motion replay. The ball takes a weird turn in direction. I don't understand how. Tropicana Field. I don't know. It didn't even hit anything. Oh, no, it was just a misplay. It was a misplay, and it bounced away. Who was playing center field for the White Sox? Was it Leori Garcia? It looks like it. So it was a miss. It was two misplays. That's how Mike Zanino gets triples. Right. And he had – so, yeah, he had uh, 
Okay, I'm doing the math now. So he had 39 non-triples for hits. Or 39 non-home runs for hits. 33 home runs. That's yeah. that's uh, very rare. And that is why he had a, what, 430? Wait, what was his? 342 ISO. 342 Five, ISO. 559 slugging. Yeah, 216 average, 559 slugging. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go back to the point, you know, uh, like, you know, Shohei Otani had a 592 slugging, but a lower ISO. Obviously, you're still going to take the higher uh, slugging. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. And then uh, WOBA, which we've referenced a little bit before, it applies a run value to unintentional walks, hit by pitches, singles, doubles, triples, and home runs and creates a new on-base percentage based off these run values. So it basically uh, says, you know, not all hits uh, have the same value like batting average would suggest, uh, and like also on-base percentage would would suggest. And even like, um, even with, you know, not all hit results have the same uh, run value. Like uh, I believe in the fan graphs definition, they were like, they, they said, does a, does a double really, is a double really twice as valuable as a single, you know, maybe not. Uh, so it basically creates a, these run values. It's, it's very complicated with WOBA. Yes. I, it's, it's, that's very hard to explain. I will say. If you want to, if you want to look at Ivy league math or what feels like Ivy league math, go Google the formula for WOBA. It's insane. Don't uh, even get league, into SIERA. The, the league wide WOBA is equal to the league-wide on-base percentage is the last mm-hmm. thing we'll say. So, you know, uh, a good WOBA would be, like, having a good WOBA would be, it's the same numbers as having a good on-base percentage. Like, a 400 WOBA is excellent the same way a 400 on-base percentage is excellent. That's what, that's think, a hard one to get through. Um, I think it, the perfect way to describe WOBA is that it centers itself around how well you're getting on-base comparative to the league average, but also factors in some hitting opponents the extra base hits yeah exactly exactly and then uh to throw another wrench in the mix we have ex woba yeah if you thought woba was complicated wait till you see expected woba um <laughs> it uses strikeout rate walk rate and quality of contact from stat stat cast batted ball data to determine what a player's woba is expected to be uh so if you're walking a lot and if you're hitting the ball with very good uh you know, a mix of expected batting average and expected slugging percentage, um, your ex-woba is going to be good. And it applies slightly less for fast players uh, because they tend to hit ground balls more and they can beat out ground balls more. You know, guys like Nicky Lopez is a good one. Tim Anderson, who we mentioned earlier, very quick. Yeah, similar um, to Babip where, like, yeah. maybe luck isn't as much of a factor. Like, I was I was looking at Randy Rosarena uh, and what he did this year. He had, like, a... a decently higher woba than ex woba but then i was looking at like some of his some of his like uh videos of like some of the singles he got and he was you know beating out beating out uh infield singles so it's that's not necessarily right. i think i think more. randy rosarena was like the only qualified hitter to have a a 100 plus weighted runs created plus against ground balls or on ground balls i should say yeah it was let me, it was let me pretty, check this it's pretty I, wild it's, to, pretty wild to see yeah um Against ground balls in 2021, Randy Arena. Uh, yeah, he had a 103 weighted runs created plus, which doesn't sound like much, but it was fourth in the majors. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Uh, 
the only people above him were Brian De La Cruz on 100-plus less plate appearances, so we're not going to count him. The only players above him were Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trey Turner. Yeah, that's that is something. Um, I'm going to look at the... Baseball savant can sometimes be slow. I can't believe Fernando Tatis Jr. slugged 424 against ground balls in 132 plate appearances. He had a 338 on base, or uh, he had a 348 average, also a 348 Babbitt because it's only batted balls. Balls in play. Um, I can't believe that. That is insane. Yeah, it is. Uh, Randy Rosarena also. That's got to be like a record now. Randy Rosarena also among 162 qualifiers was fifth in average against ground balls, according to Baseball Savant. He hit, he hit 346 on ground balls, and uh, the league average was 241. Trey Turner led the way with 368. Obviously, he's like he's the fastest player in baseball, so it would make a lot of sense. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's why sometimes with ex Wobo, you you can't. And and Babbitt, sometimes you have to factor in like these guys are fast, so they're obviously going to be, you know, have more luck uh, getting on base when the ball is in the fielder's control. Um, all right. And then before we get into defense, we have one more stat to look at. That's right. And it is, uh, oh, yeah, I, I put this one in there run value. Run value is a relatively new stat. I think it came up in like 2019, I believe. Uh, but it is what's called a pitch arsenal stat. So it is used to evaluate. It's a bit for, well, it could be used for hitters too, but it's hitters and pitchers with and or against certain pitches. So instead of, instead of saying, you know, Jacob deGrom has a negative 17 run value, you say uh, in 2021, the exact example was, I uh, got to wait for this to get pulled up. I should. Uh, Jacob Degrom's four seamer had a negative fifteen run value throughout the season. So, what run value measures? It is on specific pitches. It determines the amount of runs expected to score based on events. So, essentially, every time Jacob Degrom threw his threw his four seam fastball, uh, based on the results he got, he he it estimates it estimates that he saved fifteen runs from scoring throughout the season on his four seamer. Yeah. Um, the, the, the most anyone saved was Carlos Rodon on his four seam fastball. He threw it, you know, 58% of the time. So naturally, cause run value is a count stat. It, it accumulates with volume. So when you throw it more, if you have good results, you're going to have a negative 26 run value, which led the league, uh, the Makes worst in the league. Makes me wonder that... what, what we would be looking at with 2012 RA Dickey. <laughs> Oh, we can't see that, unfortunately. We can't see that. Um, three years Jake, before its time. Yeah, Jake Arrieta's sinker was the was viewed as the worst pitch uh, by run value in 2021, minus or minimum 10 plate appearances, but it's a count stat, so minimums aren't really don't really matter. Which makes sense because sinkers are pitches that are meant to be that are meant to induce ground balls. Uh, so if you're and if you're not inducing ground balls, you're probably giving up home runs because you're yes. probably hanging it in the zone. Uh, yeah. Jake Arrieta's sinker had a 649 slugging against, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but there is also a way to convert this into a count stat, and it's called run value per 100. So it's uh, your run value for every. It's the average run value per 100 pitches. Uh, just looking at the most simple example, Carlos Rodon. Uh, the aforementioned Carlos Rodon on his four-seam fastball, 
He threw 1,302 four-seam fastballs and had a negative 26 run value, so his run value per 100 was negative 2. It adds up. Um, you know, this is like every other count stat where it's more favorable to smaller sample sizes. Uh, so, for example, the best run value per 100 on any pitch, minimum 10 plate appearances, was uh, Dalton Jeffries on his cutter in which he threw 31 pitches and had 11 plate appearances. So that's, you know, it's a small sample size. I'll, I'll shrink it down to, or I'll add it up to uh, 50 plate appearances because that'll be more favorable. But um, that's the count stat version of run value. And the leader for the, was for the Jesse uh, rate stat rate stat yeah, version. That's what I meant. Yeah, it's the rate stat version of run value. Uh, it was Jesse Chavez's sinker, uh, oh, which funny. was yeah. It had a negative nine run value, but it had a negative four point seven run value per one hundred. Playoff. So every playoff legend. Yeah. So for every every hundred sinkers Jesse Chavez threw, he was averaging about four point seven runs saved. Yeah, and then this can wild. also be looked at uh, from a hitting perspective as well. Uh, I think the number one was like Vlad Jr. against four seamers, uh, as far as run value, just the the base version of it. Yeah, it was Vladimir Carrero had a thirty three uh, run value against four seam fastballs, which is where I should preface: um, if you're a hitter, you want a higher run value, and if you're a pitcher, you want a lower run value. Um, minimum. Uh, 50 plate appearances. The best run value per 100 was the aforementioned Adam Duvall, who Chris mentioned in ISO, who had a uh, a 7.9 run value per 100 against curveballs. Uh, he slugged 882 against them. Wow. Yeah. This is good stuff to know. Good stuff to know. Yeah. Uh, run value is you know like I mentioned is relatively new. Uh, I've been taking a look at it pretty extensively over the last I'd say six months. And uh, I would encourage anyone to do so because I think it's it tells a good story and it's pretty consistent with every other result. Yeah, probably the best uh, evaluator on specific pitches. Like, really the only one, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you can always go with, like, average against, slugging against, but run value is the best, like, thing in terms of accumulation because there's, the the, there's also the idea of you can make an account stat or a rate stat. Exactly. So pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, so with that, we move on to defense, which is, you know, the one we're, you know, the least sure on in terms of like the three aspects of baseball, pitching, yeah. hitting, or yeah, pitching, hitting defense is kind of the least effective in terms of it's the most, at least like it's the most we encourage the eye test for, and it's the least we probably can evaluate uh you know sabermetrically although i still think it's good to look at the statistics uh i think they're still mostly pretty accurate um but yeah we'll get into uh into defense here start with yeah. defensive wins of replacement so d war is uh, available on baseball reference um it sets the average at zero uh which is not uh similar to regular wins above replacement which we'll get into later uh, you know, Chris mentioned we're not really sure about defensive statistics, but what we do know is to not use DWAR. <laughs> we don't use it. We don't especially look at it. Especially for catchers. It's, especially for catchers, and we'll get into that later. Uh, it measures the amount of wins an average player produces from their defense alone. Um, you know, wins above replacement, that's what the WAR in DWAR stands for, and we'll get more into that later. But um, 
The only reason I ever use Dwar is when I'm doing a, a stat head search on players' careers. Yeah, yeah. So like I think when I'm playing narrative ball, so like I think... Scott Rowland is someone who de- uh, benefited from it, and he's definitely someone I've used Dwar for. Yeah, like I think Andrew Jones had like 24 Dwar in his career, so which is a had, lot. So that means that over his career, he had 20 he produced 24 more wins off his defense alone than the average mm-hmm. player would have um and uh which i mean i feel like on defense there's less opportunities to win games as opposed to offense which makes sense as far as how it's why it's so hard to accumulate because you know a 24 d war is incredible but if that was someone's offensive war like we're probably not even talking about them you know as a hall yeah. of famer but you know we're talking about andrew jones's i think fifth year on the ballot now Exactly. Like uh, in an average season, the leader in D war might have like two and a half. The leader in O war is probably gonna have like seven or eight. Yeah. Um, to uh, for for reference. Um, yeah, it's definitely easier to stick out on offense than on defense, which I think the statistics show that pretty accurately. Um, so then that advances, and I I didn't put the catcher thing in the prep. Uh, we rely with, with catchers. It's better to evaluate on fan graphs than on baseball reference because fan graphs has a framing uh, effect, which is a large part of defense that baseball reference is missing. That's why we choose to yeah. evaluate a uh, defense on fan graphs and baseball savant for, um, for catchers specifically. And, you know, there's other aspects that are better than a uh, baseball reference with defense. Um, also, uh, we'll get into we got to get into defensive runs above average ultimate zone rating and defensive runs saved i kind of grouped them together because they all measure the amount of runs saved about uh, above the average defender they all just use different systems um i'm gonna have so we had mark simon on the podcast who helped develop defensive runs saved so i'm gonna pull his explanation up of defensive runs saved i feel like it's kind of similar to how they measure ultimate zone rating and um defensive and other things they just, and uh yeah and defensive runs above average i think they just use kind of different markers and they probably produce around the same results uh so here's here's mark simon explaining defensive runs saved and i think that this is a good uh explainer of how things are with defensive metrics uh, outside of Statcast. So um, when I was at ESPN, uh, we had an arrangement with this company, uh, Sports Info Solutions. They came and they did a presentation, and it was a pretty persuasive presentation as to why their information was uh, useful uh, and helpful for television purposes. It would allow us to do some things with defense uh, that we hadn't necessarily been doing before. Um, So that was my introduction to it, and then it was just a matter of reading, and you read what UZR is pretty complicated, but uh, defensive run saved, you can pretty much boil it down to like, okay, for each position on the field, there are four or five traits that I'm looking for quality in that fielder. So I'm just going to measure those four or five traits for every fielder using the same set of rules and using um, essentially a system by which uh, we can evaluate batted balls such as ground ball hitting the shortstop third base hole, deep in the shortstop third base hole. That's a lot different than the ground ball that's hit right at the shortstop. 
one is probably an 80% out, the other is more of a 40 or a 50% out. So it's like a 50-50 buy. Um, and they came up with the system by which you could separate those and you could establish who were the guys that were good at going after the balls that were deep in the hole, who were the guys that were good at fielding the ball up the middle. So that's kind of the foundation of the stat. And then there are ancillary things like you would want your second baseman to be good at turning double plays. So they calculate for every um, double play opportunity situation. If a ball is hit to either the you know, first, short, or third, and they go for two, uh, that's uh, a double play opportunity. And you would say, okay, this second baseman has converted 75% of his double play opportunities. And this second baseman has only converted 55% of his double play opportunities. Chances are the guy that's converting 75% is doing something more right than the guy that's converting 55%. So those are two examples. But for catchers, it would be things like throwing arm or framing pitches or blocking pitches. Outfield, it would be a throwing arm. It would be things like robbing a home run, cutting a ball off in the gap. If you save a base, Saving a base has value. We can put a number on that and we can establish who the guys are that are good at preventing base runners from taking an extra base, like going first to third or second to home, like an Adam Duval uh, in the World Series, for example. Uh, and who are the guys that are poor at it? And um, it allows you to look at defense in a different way rather than just looking at, as most people look at, errors in fielding percentage. So Mark Simon explains defense for unsaved better than maybe anybody on the planet could. Uh, yeah, probably did it, did it very well. Um, and uh, I feel like I imagine it's a similar system for UZR and defensive runs above average. And also it, it was funny later on in the interview, I think he said like, if you think, uh, you know, a regular scorebook in baseball is fun you should look at like the scorebook for defensive runs or for defensive runs saved because there's like 50 to 60 different scenarios that they like have to condense into one thing um it's pretty fascinating go listen to the episode 159 for the whole interview very very good that was a Call fun it. one the the most yeah we had the most chemistry with with mark simon out of uh, anybody we've we've interviewed um, well, at least in, out of any strangers we've uh, interviewed, maybe not like Nico, but uh, not necessarily an interview, but he is a guest, four-time guest. Um, so, so yeah, that is uh, defensive runs above average, ultimate zone rating, defensive runs saved, kind of condensed. And then there's outs above average, which has been a, a new wrench thrown into the defensive evaluation uh, game. Uh, this uses StatCast which, you know, we, we love so very much. Uh, so for outfielders, it uses stat cast catch probability and expected catch percentage versus actual catch percentage to determine uh, how many more outs a player gets above the average outfielder. The one gripe I would have with outfielder outs above average is it does not really consider the uh, arm as much as uh, it it doesn't necessarily uh yeah it doesn't necessarily use the arm consider the a player uh an outfielder's arm and what how they're like uh you know getting guys on the bases as much 
Um, at least I don't believe that's the case. It seems to be more based on like your range and what, uh, what balls you're getting to uh, in the outfield. And then for infielders, uh, it is a little more complicated. Uh, this is from MLB.com. It evaluates uh, how far the fielder has to go to reach the ball, AKA the intercept point, how much time he has to get there, how far he then is from the base runner is, or how far he then is from the base runner the runner is heading to, and on force plays, how fast the batter is on average. Um, and it, you know, uses like sprint speed data to measure like if the, if the player should get the out or not. Um, and, you know, how good a player is above, above or below the average defender. Uh, defense, yeah, defense can be a little, a little complicated, but uh, the difference between like outs above average and, you know, DRS, UZR and defensive runs above average is it uses stat cast data you know, like the sprint speed and like, you know, how far the player actually moved um, with the other ones. It's kind of like uh, it's, it's uses more of the eye test than the actual data, but both are somewhat accurate. Not, you know, is not necessarily maybe as accurate as offensive or pitching statistics. Cause it's more, that's more objective. This is a little more subjective you could say. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's defense for the most part. It's probably the most you're going to get out of us. Um, and then uh, we'll get to the more stat cast stats not mentioned. This is, this is stuff we talk about a lot when we talk about players to highlight while the season is going on. So this is important to, to address. That's right. So we're going to talk about uh, average exit velocity. Uh, I'm sure that's a term you've heard recently. It's literally just how hard, it's how fast you hit the ball off the bat, how fast the ball uh you know, comes off the player's bat. Um, average exit velocity is the, wait, what? Oh, it's, yeah, it's obviously a batted ball statistic. Uh, it can only be mentioned or it can only come up when someone actually hits the ball in play. And in 2021, the average exit velocity was 88.1 miles an hour. Um, the hard hit threshold is 95 miles an hour. Anything over that is considered by StatCast to be a hard hit ball. And the important thing there is that you know, naturally, the harder you hit the ball, the more likely it is going to be a hit. You know, it's harder for fielders to get to it if it's getting down faster. Obviously, if you're lifting the ball, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and combining that with some high exit velocity, it'll probably be a home run. It'll probably go for extra bases. Um, yeah, that's about that. Uh, and then launch angle. Launch angle is the angle at which the ball comes off the bat. I've written extensively about <laughs> yeah. this. Um don't let anyone tell you it's ruining baseball. Don't let anyone telling tell you that uh, it's ruining batter's approach. Um, it's literally just the angle at which the ball comes off the bat. Anything below 10 degrees is usually considered a ground ball. Anything between 10 and 25 degrees is a line drive. Anything between 25 and 50 degrees is a fly ball. And anything above 50 is a pop-up. You never want to be above 50. That's never good for anybody unless you're the pitcher. That's pretty cool. Right, yeah. Like uh, I remember, I remember Jamison Tyon was doing pretty well with getting pop-ups for a it little was. bit until he went back until down to his usual yeah. performance. I think. Um. Yeah. Launch angle is. I think when people talk about launch angle in a negative light, they just think guys are trying to lift the ball more. Um, you know, I think in 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 your article on Diamond Digest, you determined that in the Statcast era, it's 
always been between 11 and 13. It's yeah. not, which the 11, like that is a low line drive is yeah. what the average launch angle is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, strikeout rate increases. Maybe there's an argument with that, but also pitchers are getting better. Uh, and, yeah, that's what the, that's literally what it is. It's not that it's and, and fielders are getting better. So like if yes. you, uh, yeah, fielders are getting better. So the idea of putting the ball in play and not, you know, hitting a home run, there's a little less benefit to that. Anyway, uh, that is a, that's a rabbit hole to get into a uh, barrel rate. So first we have to explain what a, what a barrel is and uh, nothing, nothing's going to explain it better than this little diagram we have here from courtesy of MLB.com who, you know, we would never say anything negatively about, uh, especially in, in the higher, especially ups. in these times. Yeah. Um, so here's the diagram, as you can see on YouTube uh, at the channel above, above replacement radio. So we're looking at the barrel zone. So as you can see, the barrel zone is a little fatter when you're at the like 20s, 25 to like 30 degree launch angle area. It's, you know, way skinnier when you're at the 50 degree mark because you got to hit at 120 miles per hour. And there's only like one guy in the league that can do that. Um, and it's also very skinny when it's at the like, you know, five degree launch angle thing because you also have to hit it 120 miles per hour there, which there's only like one guy that can do that. So most barrels are going to be like, you know, 101 miles per hour, 27 degrees. I know the minimum exit velocity required to get a barrel is 98 miles per hour. Um, so anything above that with a certain launch, ang launch angle can be a barrel. And as you hit the ball harder, the uh, range of launch angle you can have, it gets wider the harder you hit the ball for, for that to be a barrel because that means that the uh, the ball is the the batted ball is much more likely to be a hit as you hit it harder. Um, it's uh it's interesting. What we'll say is the average slugging percentage on barrels in 2021 was 2591, which is uh like yeah that's 2.6 bases per at bat. It's it's a lot of home runs is is what happens with barrels, and the league average barrel rate. Uh, the league average barrel rate in 2021 was 7.9%. These are kind of meant to be rare. Um, and this is percent of, uh, percent of batted balls that have, yeah. Yeah. Percent of batted balls with a, with a barrel is 7.9%. So, you know, the average player is, you know, less like one out of maybe every 12 times they're going to get a barrel on a batted ball at one, at one out of every 12 times they hit it in fair territory, it's going to be a barrel. Uh, that's the average player. So like, you know, players with higher barrel rates are going to probably hit more home runs. Um, it's just a good indicator of uh, how well you're hitting the ball. Uh, and for pitchers, how, how well or poorly you're, you are at allowing such things. All right. And then uh, into the, uh, the holy grail of statistics wins above replacement. It's been referenced multiple times before on the, on this show particularly, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. It's everything. That's right. 
This is the whole story. So wins above replacement is the estimated amount of wins produced by a player above a replacement level player. Uh, this is not the average level player. A replacement level player is not good, essentially. Yeah. Um, so there are multiple versions of it, but the two most popular versions of war, as we'll be referring it to, are on baseball reference, which is considered B-war or R-war, preferred baseball reference war or just reference war the same thing or fangraphs war which is f war so position player b war uses ops plus base running factors and defensive factors and position player f war uses weighted runs created plus base running factors and defensive factors it all looks the same but i think the main difference between the two is that baseball reference puts a lot more stock into defensive factors and we've already haven't really been too uh, keen on baseball references defensive factors and they do make up a large sample of it if i had to pick i would choose f4 right yeah like um there are just some anomalies that happen with baseball reference that aren't as big in in fan graphs so like i think in on base according to baseball reference war uh carlos correa was the best player in the american league um or best or best uh position player like only position player in i think all, wait all of baseball i think yeah he had 7.3 war and i think soto was below that harper was below that um i mean technically otani otani yeah. was above that with pitching but like yeah. you know in terms of just being a position player carlos correa was the best you know i don't i think you know he wasn't an MVP finalist, and rightfully so. You know, he still was one of the best players in baseball. I mean, to be fair, Trey Turner also led in, in F4. He did lead in F4, but he, you know, he had, I mean, you know, he's underrated. He had, you know, almost a 30-30 season. But, you know, F4, yeah. You're, yeah, you do. It, it is funny you make that realization. I didn't really make that realization that <laughs> just baseball reference will sometimes just way overvalue defense. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look at like uh, Angels and Simmons. He was like second in the league in F4 in like 2017. He had like the best D War season of all time. Oh, yeah. 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 Second in the league in B War. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Sometimes it can inflate how good a guy, how good a player is uh, defensively. However, Omar Vizquel still only has like 45 B War. <laughs> well, that's because his offense just carried him down so much. What was his what was his career O war? It was like negative 300, wasn't it? Or offensive runs above average, yeah. 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 Well, his well on baseball reference, it's called O war. Um well, and, oh, yeah, was, well they're they're two different stats, but yeah, it is two different stats. Yeah, no, that one is positive, but it's only 32.9, which is not good considering yeah. 24 seasons and yeah that's like one per season or like one yeah. and a half per season which is not yeah. a hall of famer um so then where wins above replacement gets a little more tricky is probably with pitchers um so the basis of a pitcher's baseball reference war is their era plus and innings pitched um and the basis of a pitcher's f war is their fip and innings pitched and i would say Fangraphs values innings more than baseball reference, um, just observationally. So Corbin Burns, as we mentioned many times before, uh, had 5.6 pitcher B war and 7.5 pitcher F war. That's a pretty big gap there. Usually it is not. Actually, that a Fangraphs. Big. You said Fangraphs measures innings more. Uh, yeah, I believe. I I think it's it, interesting because his FIP was that good. 
Yeah, because I was going to say, like, he didn't, you know, accumulate a lot of innings. Yeah, I think, well, I I can't imagine what his F4 would be if he got 200 innings. It would be pretty insane. Um, right. But yeah, his FIP was was that good. So it uses FIP and innings pitch a lot. Um, also, what I've noticed observationally is a pitcher's B work can also be affected by the average offensive level of their opponents and how their defense plays behind them. So in 2021, for example, Walker Bueller had more innings and a better ERA plus than Robbie Ray. So you would assume, you know, more innings, ERA, better ERA plus on baseball reference, he's going to have a better B war. Um, but they had the same B war because Ray faced better offenses and had a worse defense behind him. So it kind of make, creates that effect. Fangraphs doesn't really have that because they value their war based on FIP, which doesn't include fielders at all. Um, I, they might have a thing for um, the offenses they face. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't dove in his dove in? I haven't dove as deep uh, with that. But um, that's when the replacement is a lot more tricky with pitchers. Um, I would say position players, you know, whether you look at B war or F war, it's usually like you're, you're getting a pretty accurate assessment with pitchers. Yeah. It can be weird. Like case like Casey Mize this year. Had well, a also weird... uh, Wade Miley, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Wade Miley. Because of ER or because of ERA plus, because he played in Cincinnati. Yeah, the park fat. Yeah, and Baseball Reference Park Factors with Cincinnati this year were insane. I mean, they were everywhere. Like they were insane on Savant too. Um, but yeah, Wade Miley had a one forty one ERA plus. And a 4.2, or no, it's only wins above average, and a 5.6 wins above replacement with a 3.37 ERA in literally 163 innings pitch. He just barely qualified. Yeah, you said he had a 5.6 B-War? 5.6 B-War with a 3.97 FIP. He had the exact same pitcher B-War as Corbin Burns then. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, Cy what was, his, what was his F-War? Wade Miley? Yeah. Oh, it had to be it had to be like 2.5 or something like that. I I would be willing to bet uh 2.9. Yeah, 2.9 compared to 5.6. Compared 5. to 5.6, yeah. Even better example there. <laughs> That's probably yeah. the best example you can get. And also I think yeah, I think my I think the Reds de- Reds defense couldn't have been good. Um Well, Eugenio Suarez is like one of the worst fielders in baseball. Yeah, and I think India was below average, and Winker is not a good defender, and Castellanos. Castellanos. Good, yeah, no, the defender. Reds' defense was definitely bad. Yeah, so you know, with uh, with Fangraphs, they don't really factor that; they just f- factor your fielding independent pitching, which I think is you know fair in its own right, uh, because it doesn't factor fielders. And yeah, Baseball Reference, you have to factor the fielders because it's based on ERA plus, which can be affected by the fielders. And park um, factors, like Cincinnati. And yeah, park factors and league factors. All right. So I think uh, I think that does it for now. Um, we hope if, you know, if anyone's listening, I hope your mind is not too much in a pretzel right now through a lot. I, I, if, if I were to suggest someone listening, I would suggest listening in like 10 minute inc- increments because yep. this is a, There's a lot to a take in. It's yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, if I, if I were to listen to a recording of this, like if you were to, if you were to hand this, hand this uh, file over to me when I was like 16, I'd be like, what the heck are these? Even just like talking? two years ago. 
Yeah, a lot of it. Like two a years run ago. value? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like 15 months ago, SIERA. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? You're like, oh, man? I've heard of that. That's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Um, well, uh, we're gonna be talking about news next week because uh, yeah, we not gonna the be... show ran way longer than we thought. Yeah, well, you know this. We're the the twenty twenty one to twenty two off season for above replacement radio is is quality over quantity. Yeah, we're not on a on a super regular posting schedule or doing like maybe once a week or once every two weeks, but uh. But we're we're posting. It's going to be like a hundred minutes, about yeah. Like this today, was probably think, two hours. Uh, I think I think we started at like six, so and I it's seven thirty-eight. Oh, maybe so, we, no, because I, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I guess. We'll, I'll uh, or, yeah, or wait, yeah, because you went to charge your phone at like five forty-five or something like that. So maybe it is near two hours. Yeah. I don't know. Um. All right. Well, I'll see. I'll see when this recording gets uh, gets put together. We'll see who's correct here. Um, well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch or want to see, you know, the correlation graphs, the barrel rate or, or the barrel uh, diagram created by MLB.com, go to the YouTube channel. This is actually one where you where you probably want to watch on YouTube. Uh, just to see everything uh, go to youtube uh, the channel is called above replacement radio if you want to follow us on social media follow me on twitter at chris underscore gianta and follow daniel on both twitter and instagram at daniel underscore current and follow the show instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs and we hope to see you next time whenever that may be uh, where we will be talking all the happenings or lack thereof in major league baseball once again see you then this conversation this conversation is over is over <laughs>